Welcome to Heels in the Courtroom, a podcast about successfully navigating law and life, featuring the women trial attorneys at the Simon Law Firm. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. I'm Megan Crow, and I'm here today with Erica Slater and Elizabeth McNulty. Hello, ladies. Hey. Hi. So today we are talking about lawyer perceptions, or rather misperceptions of lawyers. This kind of idea came to me because I was scrolling social media the other day, and I actually saw a tweet that was somewhere along the lines of, name a profession where you get paid to lie. And the top 100 comments all said, lawyer, lawyer, lawyer. And I was kind of angry about that because when you become a lawyer, we all take an oath to, you know, uphold the law and tell the truth. And yet there is this stereotype out in the world that lawyers are mischievous and devious and lie. And so I would personally love it if the sort of public perception of lawyers wasn't what it is today. So it just had me thinking, you know, where does this misperception come from of lawyers as bad or lying or devious people? You know, I've thought about that for a long time, too, because just like you, when I got into our profession, like that's kind of what you get from people when you tell them you want to be a lawyer or you're in law school. Some people you may run into or like your family, like you mentioned, may make a joke or a comment. And we've heard it our whole careers, basically. And it's such a dichotomy because just as much You've heard the lawyer self-talk of how noble our profession is and how we're the oldest profession. And without us, like basically democracy crumbles and people have no rights. And that sounds like really bad stuff, right? But there's this perception that all those things are probably true. So take St. Louis, for example. You know, you think about all the attorneys in this legal market that you know what their practice is and what they do. You have... Everyone from, you know, out of state law firms who are coming in to St. Louis who have billboards that advertise size matters with a Santa Claus with a big bag of presents. And like, I just am driving down the highway and I'm like, so that's the problem. But you see all these images in media and you see media reports about big verdicts and certain kind of behind the scene lobbyist efforts, you know, that can be on a state basis, on a national basis, that have really changed the perception of lawyers in our profession. And that's what's always been difficult for me in choosing our profession, because there's so many great things I get from our profession as a person, as far as being able to do our job and the respect and privilege and reverence that I have for our job. And at the same time, you know that some people look at you and say, oh, you're a plaintiff's attorney, like, okay, you ambulance chaser, whatever. And that doesn't feel like what I do ever. Yeah. What you said about billboard lawyers that specifically associated with plaintiff's lawyers, it kind of hits home for me because I am the first lawyer in my family. And so no one else in my family 
really has any idea what it's like to practice law and really has no experience in dealing with lawyers. They are kind of a good example of what the public thinks of lawyers. And when I first became a plaintiff's lawyer, I cannot tell you how many times I got asked, oh, are you going to be like, you know, those big, you know, kind of gimmicky billboard lawyers? And countless times, again and again, I have to say, it's not really like that. But there's a few of them that are really visible. And I don't think it's an accurate reflection of the profession as a whole. But even those firms are still helping people at the end of the day. And like, that's what being a lawyer is at its core. And sometimes it's ugly and sometimes it's messy. And unfortunately, there are going to be losers in what we do. And I think that's part of the issue on why the perception can be sort of icky. Another thing that I think might be contributing to the problem is that I mean, I deal with lawyers every day, right? We all do. And like, we're a pretty grumpy group of people. <laughs> and so like, if we don't even like what we do, if we don't like each other, how are we going to get the public on board with like, oh, this is a great profession and we help a lot of people? Because it is, and that's true. But like, it can also be like very difficult, like, you know, tons of professions out there. I don't mean to be woe is me about it. But I think that that is Part of the thing that contributes to the problem is it's so combative. It looks a lot like politics, which people have an issue with. And I think that lots of politicians are lawyers. I don't think that that necessarily helps our image. So I think that that also contributes to the problem, just how messy the profession can be, especially the stuff that hits the media, right? Like it can be the worst of the worst and the best of the best. So it just... No one really sees like the kind of mundane parts of our job, which are not dramatic and sometimes not interesting to other people either. So and really important and like the parts, the mundane parts that like keep the system working or keep, you know, everything in order. Right. If you will. And I think you're right. So when you see media reports about legal cases or lawyers, it's always the extremes, right? Worst of the worst, best of the best, that type of thing. At the same time, you know, you think about our profession. So take criminal practice, for example. Lawyers are defending people who they know are guilty of sometimes very serious crimes. And I think someone who's speaking from a point of privilege would look at that and say, like, how could you do that? How can you morally, you know, defend someone who you know is guilty or, you know, committed this heinous crime? And as lawyers, we have the training and you know, understanding of the system that if that person, if the most guilty person of the most heinous crime does not have the chance and opportunity to be represented, then you have a government running wild and being able to put its citizens in jail or commit them to the death penalty without any barrier in between the government and that citizen. And I don't care what that person has done, what it represents is where it becomes so important because the fact that a defendant has access to representation as a barrier between the government incarcerating you or sentencing you to death. And the counterpoint to that is if we didn't have lawyers and prosecutors working for the government to prosecute crimes and put people away who are dangerous to society, then, you know, that runs wild too. So we need both sides to keep that system in check. It has to be the bedrock and foundation of what we're doing. So, you know, if someone were to argue that casually in front of me, 
oh, I feel so bad for them <laughs> because I would get on my soapbox immediately and, you know, point it out to them. And I think if you talk to any rational person who, you know, understood that at the end of the day, having those checks and balances and not having, you know, in the criminal system, not letting the government say, this is what I'm deciding happens to you without any defense or recourse or questioning would be crazy. So we have to provide those services and that has to be our system for the worst of the worst if, you know, we don't want to allow someone who was caught doing a very minor crime at a, you know, when they were a teenager, because the same thing would apply to them if those people didn't have a chance at representation. So I think that system, you can kind of look at it from that lens and get a bad impression. But what it represents is so important to the way our system works. And similarly, if you're looking at the civil side, of course, what we do, like there probably isn't a expert deposition that goes by that someone in that room, whether plaintiff or defense, thinks that the hired expert is like completely full of it and lying and is a hired gun and paid for an opinion. And that to me, the fact that there is a completely alternate argument or complete other side or alternate universe to the same set of facts that we're presenting to a jury most of the time. I mean, that alone looks to an outside observer like, what do you mean? So is there truth? Like if you say, you know, you're looking at these facts and you say they mean X and you say they mean a banana, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like we're not even in the same universe, then how do you know what the truth is? And if you have lawyers advocating for each of those positions, I mean, I think that inherently that looks inconsistent. And then again, when you take a step back and look at our work and realize there really are no absolutes and where there are absolutes, you know, hopefully you've used requests for admissions correctly <laughs> or findings of fact. <laughs> and there being two sides to every argument and very skilled attorneys making very strong and good arguments that have completely different conclusions. It's just hard to wrap your head around it. But it, again, it's, it's what so keeps vital the to system. checks and balances. Exactly. Exactly. Just as now in the civil system, of course, the only thing they can do to use take your money, take money from one and give it to the other. Not nearly as consequential, I think, as taking your freedom or your life. But, you know, you wouldn't want that to happen without checks and balances either. I think it's worth noting, too, that, you know, what we've been talking about here, what the public perception of a lawyer is, is a big courtroom civil lawsuit or a criminal case and dramatic, criminal very case. dramatic, you know, on trial for murder. And that is only a portion of what lawyers do. And there are so many institutions and systems that rely on lawyers that do completely different things that I don't even think the public has, you know, knowledge of. And I think, Elizabeth, you're sitting on a, a committee right now that's looking at this issue and kind of trying to raise awareness of what lawyers really do for society. I'm on a committee with the Missouri Bar, and they've decided to put out some PSAs to kind of address this and kind of get the public more aware of services that lawyers provide. 
mostly because the public isn't aware that they could use a lawyer to help solve problems in their day-to-day life. Some of those areas, you know, adoption, immigration, you know, lawyers help small businesses kind of get off the ground, stuff like that. And a lot of it is, you know, pro bono work and clinics at law schools that kind of do it, you know, for low cost or no cost, which is great. But they're also, you know, lawyers that do that kind of work every day. So it's important for people to understand that it's not just lawyers in a courtroom trying to make a bunch of money for themselves, but there are a lot of lawyers out there who do really important work that impacts everyday people's lives in a really positive way. I think something you just said with regards to money strikes true. Another thing about, you know, the public perception of lawyers. And I think there's a certain aspect of people think that lawyers are greedy and these stereotypes are perpetuated by, you know, things like the McDonald's case, the infamous McDonald's case that everyone knows. A woman spilled hot coffee on herself and she became a millionaire from it. When in fact, you know, on our first day of torts class in law school, we actually looked at the facts of that case and and you realize that there's more going on and there's more to the story and that a judgment like that was actually warranted. And if it wasn't, there are systems in place to, again, check that balance. And it's so stereotypical of me as a lawyer to say that case is misunderstood, but I do think it's true. Okay. It's like my favorite thing. So I don't even remember what the actual verdict was in the McDonald's coffee case, but under the laws, that judgment was reduced. Like she ended up, I think, with like $600,000, which was awarded, which not a lot. She had third degree burns inside her thighs because she was holding a hot cup of coffee between her knees or something in the passenger seat of a car, right? And the terminal testimony for McDonald's that came out during that case, and which nobody talks about until you're in your first year towards class, is that McDonald's corporate representative testified that they had literally done a study and ran the numbers, and that if they kept their coffee at a hotter temperature, it would last longer as far as, you know, how fresh it was and how long they could serve it. And they knew that that temperature of coffee had the potential to cause third-degree burns when they handed it to someone if it spilled on their skin. They calculated the amount of extra money that they would make from selling more coffee that they could keep longer at a hotter temperature and calculated the amount of money it would cost to pay off the people who were hurt or burned by that temperature of coffee, and the profits outweighed the cost to pay off people who were burned. And that is why that verdict was as high as it was. They were punishing McDonald's for making a profits over safety decision. There are organizations that have lobbied for tort reform, the powers that be, again, and they have come up with, you know, phrases like frivolous lawsuits are in our vernacular and the entire country's vernacular. People reference the McDonald's coffee case as an example of a frivolous lawsuit. And then you hear those facts. And I don't know a person who would say that's okay for a company to say, oh, we will literally burn people's skin and we're happy to pay them because we'll make more money I mean, it's crazy and it infuriates me and drives, I think, what we do on both plaintiffs and defense side of finding acceptable, reasonable solutions for our clients. And when we can't, we have the opportunity 
to take things to trial. But there are lobbyist groups that have put a lot of money in on a state-by-state basis into tort reform, and it was the focus of that. And it's in everyone's vernacular. Often when I talk to new clients about a new case, I've repeatedly had people make a comment along the lines of like, well, you know, I'm not for frivolous lawsuits, but or I would never file a frivolous lawsuit, but or I don't like frivolous lawsuits, but and I want to stop them and be like, yeah, me neither. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Frivolous lawsuits are bad cases. We don't file them. And the whole idea is that They're saying, hey, I'm talking to you about a potential case because it affects me. And so when it comes to me and somebody wronged me, it's not a frivolous suit because it has to do with me. And I'll tell you, there have been many times where I'm like, yeah, nothing about what you're saying sounds frivolous. This is a very serious case. And let me talk to you about, you know, your legal situation. So, Megan, when you've been thinking about this, like what types of things do you see as solutions to lawyer perception or what do you do specifically to help change minds in that regard? You know, honestly, on a mass scale, I'm not sure, but I can tell you that there is a solution on a personal or individual scale because most often when I find people who have maybe a nasty perception of lawyers, as soon as they actually talk to one and get to know them and have a good working relationship with one, that melts away. I actually had one client who I tried a case for her and She was so nervous to have a lawyer at all because in her community, she lives in a small rural area and in her community, it was so frowned upon. And, you know, she was worried about the stigma of having a lawyer and looking greedy and her neighbors judging her. And as soon as we worked together and tried that case, she pulled me aside in trial and was like, I'm so relieved by your presence. I don't feel that way at all anymore. Just being here with you and hearing how this case is going so far has alleviated these worries for me. And I think it's because, you know, it was her first time ever needing a lawyer. She had never dealt with them before. And so having a pleasant interaction and experience with one changed her mind. And now she's going to tell her neighbors and her community that it's not so bad and it helped her and it was necessary. And I, you know, experienced that with my family members too on a different level, even though I'm not providing them legal services, just talking to them about what I do in my day-to-day life makes them realize how different their perception of it is versus reality and they understand more. So I think just, you know, making a good impression where you can will go a long way. Yeah, I agree with that. And also, especially plaintiffs, personal injury attorneys, we deal with that every time we do voir dire. You know, I mean, when I'm looking at my outline, I usually have, you know, a section on like kind of rooting out the people that think all lawsuits are frivolous. And the challenge there really ends up being you're not there to change the minds of 60 people. You're there to find out who those people are who have those beliefs. And you could probably take them out for a beer and change their mind, but you certainly don't have the opportunity to do that in Vordire. So you have to identify who they are, 
make sure that it's on the record what their thoughts are about litigation. And if they believe that every lawsuit that's filed is frivolous and that, you know, it's immoral or greedy to file a personal injury lawsuit, you as a plaintiff's attorney need to get that person off your jury. Similarly, because of course, you know, we know that not only plaintiff civil litigators listen to our podcast. I mean, if you're on the defense side, you're dealing with the same issue on Vordire and you don't necessarily want those people on your jury depending on what their thoughts are. But if you identify those people and they're not necessarily someone who's an extremist, you know, just kind of thinks like too many lawsuits are filed or, you know, kind of puts all Plano's attorneys in the group of billboard attorneys or silly advertisers or whatever, then you may want to minimize that. And that could be a really crucial person to be on your jury because they're going to be the ones in the back questioning, you know, the motives and things like that. And that could be really helpful for defendants. Like I talked about at the beginning, I think that kind of one thing that we as lawyers can do, I mean, this is a pretty large problem. I'm not sure how we could solve it on our own. But one thing that we can do is probably to speak more positively about our profession. Most people I talked to before I went to law school that were lawyers were like, yeah, you shouldn't do it. And now <laughs> I do understand that way of thinking. But it's really hard to get people on board or the general public on board with the idea that, you know, our jobs are important to their daily lives, even if they don't necessarily see it, and that the work we do is important and that we're not all bad, greedy people. But like all professions, there are people that are doing that profession that aren't good at it. Like that's with anything. But I think if we kind of speak more positively about it, that would make a small impact and, you know, probably work with each other in a way that's more friendly that might help as well. Another thing is, I think it's unfortunate that kind of like the way you talked about, Megan, that it has to happen to you for you to like be okay with the system. So I think maybe just a call for more empathy in the world, if that's possible. Yeah. But like, it shouldn't be that you have to be touched by the legal system to like respect lawyers and what they do. So maybe just kind of be more open-minded and, you know, the world would be a better place with that. I totally agree with what you said about speaking more positively. When I was in undergrad and thinking about going to law school, I had a pre-law advisor. It wasn't a major, so it was basically like a one credit course that you took that taught you how to apply to the LSAT and things like that. And to me, it came across as a semester-long course about why you shouldn't go to law school. <laughs> and it was discouraging to me. And that's a common thing that happens across the country that like any lawyer will tell you when you're thinking about going to law school, not to go to law school. And because people keep going to law school, it's clearly not deterring people. <laughs> and so why do we keep doing that? If someone wants to do that, I think that we should encourage it and explain the realities of you have to be willing to commit this amount of time to studying. And, you know, if you're going in it for the money, you know, you're probably not going to be happy. And, you know, warn them about the realities of it, but not in such a discouraging way. And I think that is something I've felt for a long time. And whenever I talk to law students or even high school students who are thinking about going to law school, I always try and choose my language carefully and be encouraging about it and point out the good things about it and what I like, not in a delusional or misleading way, but I don't want to be discouraging. Yeah, I agree with that. And Elizabeth, too, like, I think that's such an important thing 
to just the idea of speaking positively of your profession and what you do, you know, what's your elevator speech about what you do? How many lawyers can you think of who are so Mm self-deprecating when they say that or dismissive of our profession? And that really isn't giving it the reverence that it deserves because you, I mean, it's got to be a symptom of not being happy with your job at the time too, which just like anything, if this is going to be your lifelong career, there's going to be stages and phases where you don't enjoy it or you're kind of down on your choices or what your practice is or whatever. I get that. But it seems kind of like a status quo sometimes, like you're expected to like take the lawyer jokes and blah, blah, blah. And don't go toe-to-toe with a lawyer on lawyer jokes, by the way. (laughs) We're better at them. Um, So anyway, I guess that feeds into my whole point. But yeah, speaking positively about the profession when it comes up, when you're talking with family members, when you're talking with clients. I feel like decades ago, there was a different perception about lawyers who advertised. And now it's kind of gone to the other extreme. Everyone advertises. And it seems that the messaging, you know, kind of are trying to outdo each other. So I just traveled down to Houston for Christmas. You should see some billboards. (laughs) I mean, they were fascinating just to see like the different messaging in a different city. And they're all playing as personal injury attorneys, you know, which I think is part of sort of the perception problem. There was one, you know, she was the only woman on the billboard. So I appreciated that she was getting out there, but it was like super woman, super mom, super lawyer. And like, she's literally like in a kind of a costume that's supposed to look like a superhero costume. And I was just like giddy, chuckling, like, look at this. Like in the span of like a mile, I must have seen like 10 different plaintiff's attorney billboards. Don't forget about the Texas hammer. (laughs) I think the whole country knows about the Texas hammer. There was an SNL skit not too long ago about lawyer advertising when the instance of the gorilla glue on the person's hair came out. I don't remember the exact premise of the skit, but it was hilarious. (laughs) So basically, I guess at the end of the day, our solutions on a micro level are speaking positively about our profession and not being self-deprecating when you talk about what you do. That's on a micro level. On a macro level, where are we at? Relying on your committee, Elizabeth? Yeah. (laughs) Don't worry, guys. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that like the Missouri Bar Association is bar associations across the country could put in some efforts to improving their lawyer members' perception with the communities at large. And ways to do that, I think, are educating the public about things that lawyers do for them that are outside of what people traditionally think of as what lawyers do, which is, you know, civil lawsuits like the kind of work that we do or, you know, criminal defense or prosecuting criminals. So some of the more not traditional lawyer jobs, you know, kind of like helping families adopt or helping people become U.S. citizens, even, you know, helping veterans find resources that are available to them or the work that lawyers do in drug courts, rehabilitating people. So I think that there's some really excellent work out there that's being done that the public just doesn't know about. And if they did, I think that the perception for lawyers would really improve. So if anyone is involved in state bars across the country, I suggest you pitch that at your next meeting. Or figure out and get involved in the PSAs that might already be going on. 
I think involvement is a great tip. I mean, as with anything, if you join organizations, charities, et cetera, and you're the lawyer in the group, people are going to like you and, and go to you and realize that there's a whole world out there of lawyers, not necessarily what they think or what they see on TV. This has been a great conversation and I'm feeling a little bit more hopeful that we can change the negative perception of lawyers. As always, feel free to email us at comments at heelsinthecourtroom.law and we'll see you next Wednesday. Amy, Liz, Erica, Mary, Elizabeth, and Megan would love to hear from you. Send your thoughts to comments at heelsinthecourtroom.law and subscribe today. 